Hi, I'm Shaylee Shibaxi Ritchie. And I'm her co-host and sister, Kosha Baxi Karstens. Spoiler alert, we are sisters. And best friends. We grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were certainly loved. We had lots of friends, but we never felt like we really fit in. We started to realize that there were a lot of people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was the seed for this podcast. Then, during the 2020 election cycle, we watched now Vice President Kamala Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence. We saw what a badass she was, and we got inspired. We wanted to hear, share, and amplify the voices of everyone who has felt other. We wanted to give everyone a platform, regardless of who they are, who they love, or where they're from, to reclaim their power and their place, to stand up and say, I am speaking. Kosha. Hi. I'm back from vacation. I know. You were gone. It you were gone for like a week and it felt like six years. It did. I was in California. As as some of our listeners know, I have a tradition with my bestest girlfriends to go there and spend a now it's gotten a little bit longer. It used to be three days and now it's like six days that I spend um, there with them. And we rent a house on the coast and we hole up with some good wine and some good food. And you go off the grid. You go off the grid, which is good. I have my phone on me for emergencies, but I don't answer emails. And I. It's, it's good for you. It's not great for me, but it's good for you. Definitely appreciate that you sort of covered some of the, some of the stuff that needed to get done with our podcast. So who do we have today? We're we're talking to Amanda. Amanda is a sibling of another person that we have on our podcast. Yes. Amanda and Scott and the two of us, me a little bit more because I'm um, closer in age. Uh, we go way back and to like our streeter days for people who have listened to this podcast from streeter. We knew them way, way back, but she is now a, she's the older sibling. We'll hear from Scott later, but she is now a social worker in a middle school in, um, in kind of the far reaches of Illinois. Hearing her talk about what it's been like to be a social worker in the middle school, which is anyone who's had a middle school or child or known a middle school child that, you know, 11 to 14 year old stretch it feels like the most dysregulated time in your life just as a person. And then you throw a whole bunch of people into that situation. Then you throw violence and poverty, lack of a supportive, you know, family or school structure, lack of resources. And then for the crappy cherry on top, you throw in a pandemic where everyone has to be at home, not going to their a social resourced place and trying to do everything that happens at school from their home. For all of you, our listeners who maybe did wonder or do wonder, like how did the pandemic affect young people? This, this is not the, you know, the end all be all story of this, right? These are, this is a specific subset of kids, but if you want to have a little bit of a window into what that was like, listening to Amanda will absolutely give you that insight. You know, with the pandemic, we're like, oh, did, you know, did that person have COVID? But how has the pandemic affected other aspects 
of life. That's really what we hear very loud and clear from Amanda. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. It was a great interview. I hope you all enjoy it. Absolutely. Amanda is speaking. My name is Amanda Collins. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I am speaking. Hi, Amanda. Welcome. Hello, everybody, my childhood friends. Yes. Yes, indeed. We go way back. Yeah, we do. Listeners, uh, this season you're going to get, as you know, in previous seasons, we've had people who are brothers and sisters, spouses, best friends. We've had a lot of best friends. And this season, you're also going to get another brother and sister duo. Um, Both of them work in schools, but they do something slightly different. So today uh, we're talking to Amanda Collins, whose brother Scott Collins has been on the podcast uh, before. Probably not. Oh, no. Probably not. No, because he's an uh, expert voice. He's an expert voice. Okay. But you are on our main podcast, which is this season talking about mental health and neurodiversity, which as a middle school social worker, you're, you're on the front lines with, with that for these kids. Yeah. So I'm, um, in Freeport, Illinois at the middle school. So that's just seventh and eighth grade. And I think, I believe this is going to be my 16th year in the field. And I've done everything from, I started out in detox when we were all in Bloomington. Um, I was working in detox there. Um, I decided I wanted to go into social work. Previously, I was in the psychology field. So I got my master's in social work, got my license so that I could do private practice. I did that for a little while. But I really like the schools because I like that point of contact. Like I like August. I get, you know, the kids come back to school, you kind of see how everyone's doing, see how the summers have gone, where do I need to pay attention quickly, who do I need to get into services, how are all my families, and that kind of stuff, and then I can keep an eye on them all school year, I don't have to do appointments weekly, I can get, you know, I just get a little bit more involved in the families, and I've worked in schools all the way from um, my primary focus was therapeutic day schools, like K through 12. And that was rough. um, But it's absolutely nothing compared to what the last couple years have been like in a gen ed setting, which is pretty amazing to me because I did not expect, you know, of course, you don't expect a pandemic. But I was switching jobs in the middle of the pandemic, I went from a very rural, very rural school to a pretty diverse community compared to the schools around here. So I've actually loved it because I feel like I'm working with students that know what the world is like. Um, They're going to leave high school with a pretty, like if they get thrown into any situation, they're going to be able to handle it Um, because there's a lot of things going on in this town. So I, I started off right off the bat working with kids that were really, really struggling with mental health. Um, And so many that I couldn't even keep track. My primary role as a social worker is is to work with only the special education students that have social work minutes on their IEPs. 
I'm familiar with the social work IEP stuff because I have a kid who has an IEP. Um, but for a lot of our listeners, I think some of this might be new. So you're a school social worker in a public school setting. So talk to me, talk to us about what a typical day looks like and sort of how it's all structured. What are the different departments? How do you interact with teachers? How do you interact with administrative staff? How does, like, what does your world look like on a, on, you know, in, in terms of like, how does it map? Like through the special ed lens? Sure, yeah. In special ed land, there, well, first of all, there's a process leading up to special education services that we want to exhaust before we offer a student an individual education plan, which is an IEP. Um, IEPs can be implemented due to any kind of learning disability um, in different areas, math, reading, you know, things like that, where kids can just get support in those areas. There are all kinds of ways that students can be identified or found eligible for special education services. And that can be, you know, a young person has ADHD, so they need some accommodations in a classroom for that. They need teachers to be aware of modifications that need to be made. Um, and an individual education plan is a legal document. So there are strict guidelines and goals and rules that the um, multidisciplinary team need to address throughout the educational, throughout the year, the IEP year. So multi-educational team is me, social worker, speech pathologist, occupational therapist, physical therapist, and then special education teacher, um, and then there's, there's, you know, a general, general education teachers involved too, just to kind of look at it from what's this going to look like in the gen ed setting and what will the student be getting in the gen ed setting. So it's basically a process to get a young person services and help that they need to be successful at academics or social emotional. I come in with social emotional. So I address, you know, the students that are dealing with social, emotional, behavioral concerns that impact their education. All of these deficits, all of these struggles that the student has are addressed in the different areas in order for them to hopefully not need an IEP for super long. You know, kind of come in, hopefully at a young age where it can be addressed kind of quickly. Um, you know, if they need some um, support in reading or math or with social, emotional stuff, hopefully they can address these things and get caught up, which caught up isn't really, I mean, there's no really caught up anymore, <laughs> but um, these, these things are put in place so that a young person has the support and then can rejoin their reg regular education peers and be successful and not be struggling with just getting their regular academics every day. But can't you have an, like you could have an IEP and not be pulled out of your regular class. So I guess, I this is my and that's frowned upon I don't even know if that's legal anymore to be pulling kids out you need to be doing a lot of pushing because they're you know historically like yeah like a student be yanked out of class and and work in a small group now that may happen happen if there's a test so there might be a situation where you know a paraprofessional or a teacher pulls a student out to do a test but for the most part these students are in gen ed classrooms with support that's pushed in now I pull kids out. Speech pathologist will pull kids out. Um, occupational physical therapist will pull kids out of class. But for academics only, there's there's a there's support in the classroom to kind of you know just 
provide support as they're doing things. The assignments are still going to be modified. Their work is going to be modified, but they're still in that gen ed classroom with all their classmates. Because I was going to say, like, I remember, so special ed, quote unquote, is back when I was in high school, for example, it was like the group of kids who had severe disabilities or severe, you know, like uh, the behavioral issues, and they were really shoved in a classroom together so they didn't hurt themselves or somebody else. Like they weren't learning. No, no. And I, when did that change historically? And that's a good question. Cause I'm not, cause go, going up through being in the schools for so long, I remember that as everybody was in the basement when I was in high school, like all those students, I don't think I saw them once anybody in special education. I didn't see because you're right. They were all kept separate. They all kind of traveled in a group. They did. Right. That still is the case for more for the students that are more severe, profound, that are, you know, learning more life skills where you're teaching about um, money management or, you know, as far as, you know, just interacting with peers, um, doing, you know, tasks, work, break, work, break kinds of tasks. And then all the way up to you wouldn't know if someone has an, an IEP because they're working on something totally different. Um and I'm not sure, and the names have changed of so all the labels that everyone gets put into. It, so it has changed, fortunately, so that the students that would normally be in like a different classroom will be with their peers. Because the goal is you want them developing with their peers and able to have those friendships and able to, you know, get out of that situation if they if they want to. And they know the areas where they need to work on things. And with seventh and eighth grade, I try really hard to teach my students what an IEP is because, you know, either they've been on one for a while or not very long. They have no idea what it is. Nobody speaks to them about what it is. And they had to go through a whole evaluation process to even make it happen. So you would think that they would kind of have an idea, but it, you know, and that's another, if the student understands it, if they want to pay attention to it, or if, you know, if it's pretty parent led, they're like, whatever my parents want, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. 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 But for the most part, the, the students are with their peers and they like that. They don't want to be somewhere else. And what's cool is you see kids bloom because they're making friendships. They're finding things they they're interested in. I had a young man who was in like the social emotional learning focus classroom, which, you know, would pe someone from a while ago would say like BD, like behavior disordered or whatever. Mm -hmm. Now it's called self social, emotional learning focus. Yep. That's, that was the self room. And there were a handful of boys in there that were the lights of my life, but they you know, when they go out to classes, they wanted to leave because they would get to be around their peers. Yeah. Just the whole, the whole process of special education has changed in a good way. And so a lot of schools are trying to, to figure out, okay, does this student really actually need an IEP or do they need you know, the, the 504, which is the next step down? Um, still a legal document, but not as um, involved, not the huge evaluation process that goes into it. Sure. One thing that's really interesting over the last 30, 40 years in education and sort of special education, focused education, right, is the understanding that people who need 
have social emotional skills to learn, for example, need to be around their quote unquote neurotypical peers as models. Yes. You know, my son is on the spectrum. And if he's in a classroom with a bunch of people who are also on the spectrum, what does he learn to do? He learns to be more of who he is. Those are his peers. That's what they value. Whatever they all do, it's mirrored to you every, everywhere. It's modeled to you everywhere. Whereas if a child is able to function in a general education classroom, even with supports, even with an aid, but the modeling that they get about how other people act, not their own little group is so important. Wouldn't you say vice versa too, Amanda and Shilshi? Like it's important for those quote neurotypical peers to be like, oh, not everyone is going to be like me. And sometimes there's a kid who, you know, has to stim or, it, you know, shakes or what is it, rocking back and forth. And that doesn't mean he's weird. That doesn't mean he's bad. It just is how different people are. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right about that. Yes. And I definitely have seen that over many years. There are kids that, you know, you you don't know a student, so you don't necessarily understand what they're saying because of a disability or whatever, but a classmate knows exactly what they're saying, you know, because they've grown up together or they just know them better because right. they're in classes with them all the time. I don't unfortunately see a whole lot of understanding from kids lately because everyone is so angry and dysregulated very much on the defensive. So the past few years, I have not seen a whole lot of children being nice to each other, <laughs> if I can be completely honest. Just a whole lot of conflict. Where, what do you think is driving that? I, I attribute it to not being in school for a consistent time. Um, I mean, my eighth graders last year had absolutely no idea how to school. They had wow. no how to be in a school building with adults telling them, asking them what to do, following basic directions, um, meeting expectations, and simply in the hallway. I mean, like they came into the building and it was like pandemonium. And the seventh graders were so different because they had been in school that didn't shut down the whole time. Ah. So the eighth graders missed. Okay, so their seventh grade year so many of them were just remote. We've got a lot of students that live in difficult situations. Um, parents just didn't send them to school or they refused to come or whatever it was. But so many kids were not in school their seventh grade year. And then their sixth grade year, half of it, they weren't in because of the shutdown mm. that March. So they missed like a year and a half of school. And they come in for eighth grade and they're just out of control so angry so angry and so and hormonal oh my gosh their outside lives are not pleasant they come in and you can hear every horrible thing they've ever heard from an adult mm. and they're spouting it at you or they're spouting it at a teacher they're spouting it at peers I couldn't believe walking into that building just the kinds of things that they would say to each other I mean the level of anger and the level of hurt and then in, in the middle of that, they're losing family members. I had I had like three kids last year that lost at least two a, two family members before Christmas. Wow. Because of COVID? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because we don't have a terribly high vaccination rate out here. Um, there's a good um, there's a good enough amount of people that were fighting um to not have masks in the school. 
you know, everything was just a fight for with with some kids. And then, you know, some kids would bring that in to the school. And um, but for the most part, like our school was amazing with the masks. Like if a if a kid wasn't wearing one, their peers would let him have it. Oh, wow. That's good. Yeah. And so that was really good. I was really proud of the kids for that. But just just the stress, just the the stress of that argument, you know, dealing with that outside, coming into the school, and then you're surrounded by people that think pretty differently than you and your family. My school has a pretty strong kind of a liberal vibe. But there are there are the kids that, you know, are acting out more than I've ever seen. There were swastikas in our bathrooms. Mm. Our bathrooms were crashed on like a daily basis. They stopped putting up paper towel dispensers and soap dispensers because it was just out of control. People were just, the kids were destroying everything. So, so what is different is that people have been pretty isolated for let's say 18 months. And not only are they isolated, not having time with their peers, which as we know, young adults particularly need time with their peers more than they need time with their families. And from what you've described, the families themselves aren't particularly well-adjusted. Like there are issues within families. Absolutely. When people came back into classrooms, let's say, they were dealing with a lot of, well, a lack of stimulation and then fear and grief and, you know, whatever trauma had been accumulated just from living in their families, you know, not to, not to count the trauma of living through a pandemic, not to count the trauma of having family members die from COVID, but just their own family of origin and being forced to be there for so long and not having the respite of even going to school and being like, you know, at least for seven hours a day, I'm not there. And making sure they get meals. Right. You know, at home, a lot of my kids are taking care of younger siblings so they would miss a lot because the kids are, you know, people are being homeschooled. Parents are mm-hmm. still trying to work one, two jobs and homeschool kids. So I would, I mean, like there were kids that I worked with, there was constantly diapers in their backpack, you know, eighth graders going home. They got to go pick up two kid, two siblings under five. Honestly, I was surprised by how much the kids were expected to do by their adults. And, and that happens anyway, you know, but mm-hmm. this, with this added stress, how much was still put on and added onto the plates of the young people that I work with. So did you see those kinds of things, not behaviors, but I sure there were those behaviors before, but did you also see some of this additional pressure on 13 year olds or 14 year olds before the pandemic? Or is that new or is it intensified it intensified there there are a lot of kids that would just normally on on an everyday kind of a day you you wouldn't see them and we would just be like you know so one of the babies must be sick or they've got to watch their sister because their mom got called into work so they can't come to school that was pretty pretty frequent but it was just you know like one two three kids Mm -hmm. you know maybe five and, and they were, it sounds like they were known, like you knew who these kids were. Everyone knew who they were, which is like, oh, they're not in school today. There's a family thing going on. Yeah. And they wouldn't miss weeks and weeks 
Um, but it was a day here or there and everyone kind of knew who they were. Okay. So right. that's helpful. But now it would be weeks and weeks, you know, because somebody would be sick and then somebody would have to isolate at another family member's house. Then they couldn't leave because then they would possibly bring COVID back to a grandparent. Just just spotty attendance across the board. And then, you know, you're trying to reach out to family and hook them up with resources that there aren't. It was like an uphill battle nonstop. It just, it really, really has been. And then on top of it, the adults that they came in to see were so surprised and shocked with the behavior that they completely shut down and stopped being what they needed to be for the kids. So tell, I don't quite understand that. Can you explain that a little bit more? So the the teachers were taken. So just exactly what I'm saying, the teachers had these kids in class all day long. Mm -hmm. And we had four teachers walk out before the first semester was over. This year? This year, this past year. Yeah. Wow. Someone, two staff didn't make it three weeks. Wow. Were they new or they? Uh -uh. These are oh, veteran. Wow. These are veteran teachers. One of them was a veteran that came from another school. The other one had been a principal in the district. Yeah. Wow. It's like, I've never seen disrespect like this in my entire career. I've never seen anything like this in my entire career. I'm not putting up with it. Mm. And so many staff were losing family members too, or going through a divorce or going through just everyday life stuff that happens to anybody, any of us. I find it really interesting, the amount of pressure and responsibility we've put on teachers or healthcare workers for that matter. And healthcare workers is kind of one thing because this is a globe, like it's a health pandemic. But with teachers, I'm like, they are also going through the pandemic. And as awful as this has been, I've heard enough of, I had no idea what my child's teacher really did, or I had no idea how involved the teacher becomes and because we were we were focusing last year on parent involvement because we there's no way we could have done any of this without help from the parents mm -hmm. and historically I guess my school district has not been terribly good or consistent with parent involvement so it was kind of a surprise to some parents that teachers were getting in touch with them so frequently but then the parents are overwhelmed so you got parents mm -hmm. that are blocking the phone numbers and that just happens every school year anyway but I feel like there were enough parents. It surprised me how many parents last year were like, help me, help me, help me, help me, because I can't do this anymore. I don't know what to do. And usually it's, you know, like you're too hot on my kid or you're singling them out. That tends to be kind of the, you know, just kind of how it goes usually. But I've never seen so many parents just at their wits end. I don't know what to do coming in, talking to the teachers for 45 minutes to an hour at a time, just after school, trying to brainstorm with the teachers. It's just, it's been very, very different. And you're right. The, the pressure that's, that's on the staff in the building is I, 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 yeah, it's just, it's unreal. We had staff leave on in, in ambulances because they got hurt breaking up fights. Wow. I mean, we, it's, we had students leaving in ambulances because they're medicating so hard with drugs that they're falling out in, in the classroom. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, you know, you reflect on the fact that the pandemic was hard on everybody for a lot of people though. The hard was I have second side with my family. 
I certainly, I certainly speak from a position of privilege, lots of privilege to be able to say my two biggest problems were I couldn't go out and socialize. So I was really struggling like, cause I'm an extrovert and I was like, I'm really tired of the people in this house. And, and then Kosha and I were like, woo. Yeah, I know the introverts. Well, although I have heard from, you know, friends who are introverted, which is like, but I'm stuck in the house with my family. Like yeah, nobody got, will go away. And real. for me, it's like, these are the, and I, like, I don't count my children as people to socialize with, right? They're my children. So it's my husband and I, and then the other part of it is something, you know, that came up recently in another interview, which is like, you just learn your partner's work habits. And you're like, I could listen to that stupid joke 15 times, right? That's a joke of the week. And that's, you're saying that every time. Why the same right. thing? Yeah. But <laughs> I fully recognize that when I say it was tough, I speak from a position of economic and social privilege. Yeah. We live in Oak Park. We have a three bedroom house. My husband and I have offices in the basement. We're able to hire someone to help with the schoolwork so we could do our jobs. Like, yeah. Didn't worry about food. Didn't worry about jobs. Didn't, you know, we were, we were safe and we were fed and we were housed and we were closed and we didn't lose anyone close to us either. Right. And it was still hard. It's still hard on all of us who still had all of the, the, you know, the, our basic needs covered, but worried about what's happening outside, as you said, Amanda, and sort of feeling just like you're in this like twilight zone almost where you're just like, don't right. That's still hard. We're still going through that, but then you start cutting away at all of the things that in a normal world in a pre pandemic world would just make kids miserable, would make families miserable. We don't have enough food to eat. We don't know where we're going to sleep. People are doing drugs. There's violence in the community. I'm sick. I, my parents work two jobs or I only have one parent or I don't have a parent. I don't have access to health insurance, so I can't get any, I can't get my tooth fixed. Yeah. And then it all, turns into an, an infection. Yeah. yeah. All of this stuff. It's, and then you layer in all of the other stuff we just talked about, which is, and then you can't go anywhere. You're stuck with the same people. And it's outside, is, just the world is scary. I certainly know for um, people who are paying attention to this news, it's like, that's all you could pay attention to. And so it's just like, you just kept digging your like hole even further, which is like, oh, now this awful thing is happening. Now these people died. Now that, you know, it's like, so you're just consuming so much negativity because that's all you can do. Yeah. And that's for, uh, you know, that's for us, the people who, who have a lot of privilege, if you just cut, take all that stuff away, it would be beyond destabilizing. Yes. I mean, it's enough to put someone into, I, and I don't use this word lightly. So Kosha, correct me if I'm wrong, but like almost a psychotic state. No, you're absolutely right. Because just because people are parents doesn't mean that they have, you know, stellar coping skills and, you know, oh, don't, yeah, no. don't have triggers or don't have things that just set them on their butts, you know, and then throw on top of that, then you have to teach them from your house or, and you have to manage all the things that a school would normally manage breakfast, lunch, you know, like just basic socialization, you know, like you were saying, Shailushi, like it's really an entirely, your life just completely changes. Nothing is comfortable. Nothing feels safe. 
And then when you have that dynamic, adults are going to have major problems with that too. And then the kids feel it. So you've got a house full of tension and fear, and then you send those kids to school and that's, that's just where they live. They're just in that feeling all the time. And then you're like, Hey, let's learn about fractions. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. It's so it's, it's, it sounds ludicrous when you say it, right? How many fucks does one third of a fuck plus two thirds of a fuck plus four sixths of a fuck? <laughs> and half the time there's like the kids have their heads down. Three of them are crying, you know, like, and then you, and then you have behaviors that pop up and the teachers are at their wits end because they've got 20 some kids in a classroom that they're supposed to meet these expectations and show growth when you're like, these kids have been out for 18 months. What the heck do you expect me to get? Growth is like from crying to not crying. Yes. Right. Like, like this is, we're talking about, you know, kids that if they have to stay home and, and watch their kids, like none or watch their siblings, they're not going to eat necessarily. Right. You know, and, yeah. and yeah. And, and we were sending boxes home. So, I mean, we were, we were doing a lot to make sure the kids had food and the families had food. But that's, that's, again, that's because the, the district was able to do that. Right. So I have a dumb question. No, nothing's we, dumb. Like, Shale, like, I live right down the street from Shale Shale. I live in River Forest. It's, it's the same high school district, essentially. Is this happening in every school? Like, or my nibbling, who is Shale, she's oldest, just graduated eighth grade. And nibbling. They are non-binary. So um, that's the word for niece or nephew, right? Both. Love it. Um, so they didn't, have never said like their kids crying in classes and stuff. Like, is this happening all across the board or is it, is it economic? Is it? From what I'm understanding, it's everywhere. I work really closely with Rosecrans. Oh yeah. Um, I got them out here. I'm so excited. Um, we have we have no services out here. So and Rosecrans is a mental health Uber organization. That's yeah, and they're they're centered out of Rockford. They have dependency services, behavioral health services. Um, they yes, yeah, so yeah. All they do so many things, and finally we have a satellite office out here. Thank goodness. But prior to that, I would, you know, I had contact with um, the clinical director and he came into my building and I was like, what is this? Because I know that, you know, they go out to all schools everywhere in the area because they have the, the SAS contract, which is the, um, the, I never remember what it stands for, but it's basically a crisis worker. They have the contract where you call the CARES line, the CARES line says, yes, what you're struggling or what your student is struggling with qualifies for an evaluation, a mental health assessment. They send out a worker from Rosecrans. They evaluate. And I did that more times this past year than I ever have for suicidal ideation and, you know, needing hospitalization, things like that. Um, but the, the clinical director of Rosecrans was like, no, this does not matter. It doesn't matter socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter if you're in a rural community, if you're in you know, more urban community. It's how the schools are right now. And I was like, okay, well that makes me feel horrible, wow. but better right. because it wasn't just me. Yeah. It wasn't my students and my building. It It's everybody is dysregulated. Everyone is struggling. Everybody is in the same situation. Teachers are leaving. 
Yeah. Just leaving the profession everywhere. It's amazing how quickly we went from teachers deserve $10 billion a year to get your ass in the classroom, stop complaining, do your job. Exactly. Stop, stop complaining and just do what you went to school for. I felt maybe there is this opportunity, right? It's just a glimmer where teachers might actually get their due. Yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. Because parents were now in the position of having to teach their children. And if we've got people, our listeners who are homeschoolers, man, good on you. Because I know that I would be so, the two years, year and a half, I had to manage my kids here at home. I was like, oh my God. Like I, and I didn't have to manage them all the time. Right. I just had to sort of make sure that they were doing things. Zoom, make sure they're, yeah. Keeping up with their calendar. Right. But we had, I don't know so much of my older kid had that. If they did, they kept it largely to themselves. Well, and some kids did very well with remote, you know, like your child might've been pretty independent. Was independent and was able to do the work. Definitely prefers to be in school, but I think, you know, also helped a lot that right when the pandemic started, we're like, you need a phone because we were planning to wait a little bit longer. Like you need your own phone. You need to be able to talk to your friends Yeah, at any time. So they weren't ever truly disconnected from their friends. They couldn't see them face to face necessarily, but they were texting with each other and I don't understand how this works, but they would play video games and then call each other, but not look at each other. They would just be like speaker phoning. Yes. But that allowed my kid and their friends to interact and still feel connected and still feel bonded. My younger kid was actually had a lot of challenges because particularly last year when it was like remote, then hybrid, then more people came back. And every time that schedule changed, man, it was like two weeks of meltdowns and tantrums and super disruptive. Yeah. And then by the time you get them calmed down and in the routine, they're back in school. Yes. <laughs> or then back out of school. Yes. <laughs> or the schedule changes again. Yeah. I think we changed the schedule four times last year, at least. Yeah. At least. And everyone Ugh. knew, everyone, everyone had, there were negative effects all over the place. And, and for staff, because we're just like, okay, what, are we going backwards this day? Like, what's even going on? And I feel like so many teachers were at their wits end to begin with, just because teaching. It's teaching, yeah. <laughs> yes, just because teaching. Um, that they were like, you know what, if this is what it's going to be like, no, thank you. Like, I, I just, I, they, I think everybody, so many people were just kind of done. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can totally understand that. It's, it's definitely a trend in the nonprofit sector where I've worked my whole life. And particularly, like you said, veterans, like people who are like toward the end of their career and they might've thought about retiring in the next three to five years or find like, I don't need this. I'm done. Right. Yeah. It's been, it's been a, it's been a really interesting time to be in education. That's for sure. It really, really has been. Sure. And I mean, I, I, I love it. I'm not going anywhere. Because I, I, I mean, I just like my job, but also it's so, it, it was so hard to work with the kids and explain to them that yet another one of their teachers is gone. Mm, yeah. And even if it was a teacher that not everybody liked, there were kids that liked them. There were people that really enjoyed their class and sure. had a connection with them. 
and it it was just so so much loss and even yeah. if like hypothetically that teacher was a total dick you at least knew third period or whatever you're going to be dealing with this dude and you're going to be dealing with him with your peers so at least it was routine yeah you know what your expectations are right. you know that person you know what they're going to put up with so when the teachers would leave other teachers have to pick up the slack and they're subbing they're subbing yeah. in all their periods so teachers didn't have plan periods for oh, the majority here because as soon as someone left they'd have to schedule all the teachers to cover that classroom because we didn't have subs and if we did have a sub the sub would come and never come back oh boy yeah i can imagine so we had like maybe two solid subs <laughs> wow so we've talked a lot about how the pandemic has affected chi- you know children teen- younger teenagers one of the things that i think really we could as a society focus on during the pandemic was the sort of twin epidemics of violence and racism mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but from what and and not to not to say it didn't affect people in freeport as well um, but there's sort of the the unusual violence of school shootings, which as traumatic as they are, people go to school every day and people don't get shot every day. You know, there aren't mass shootings in schools every day, but there is violence in schools every day. Every day. And there's certainly violence in communities all the time. You know, one thing that you had mentioned earlier is that we don't have to be talking about a school shooting to be talking about how violence affects kids in the classroom, yeah. right? You know, the fact that someone's sibling could be a gang member and they have died or their uncles died or, you know, their their mom is sick and is dying because they don't have health care, right? That all comes to bear in the classroom. So can you talk a little bit about, not necessarily about the pandemic and its connection to violence, but just how you see violence play out in children's lives and how that affects their ability to to learn and to like grow as people. Yeah, thriving is really what I did not see a lot of last year. And I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about like verbal violence. Verbal, I mean, like all of that to me. I mean, and we all just incredibly negatively impactful. And it's what they hear at home. It's what they hear from their peers. And this is, again, just my experience with watching young people who really, truly don't seem to know how to socialize anymore. Um, what I what I was noticing pretty frequently just at the start was, wow, I've never heard kids talk to each other this way. Mm. Do you mean like it's it's like like hate speech and, and racist verbiage and stuff like that? Yes. And I mean, and. A lot of the kids have grown up together. So a lot of the mm. kids know the family struggles, the family strife, mm. the, oh, I see. and they'll go straight for it. They oh. would go straight for fuck your dead dad. Oh, mm. I they see. jumped over your shoes are stupid. They jumped over. Where did you get your pants? They go straight for the jugular. Yeah. Hateful, hateful things come out of their mouth and the physical aggression was something I've never seen. Like a kid just, the students could not just walk down the hallways. They had to walk down hallways, slam their peers up against lockers, throw their friends to the ground, 
hit each other, punch each other, de-pants each other. And they're like not just hitting it. They're like humiliating each other. Yes. 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 To the point, and I could get into like sexting. I, I, I mean, we could have a whole show on that. Ruining each other's lives. Literally doing things to each other that will affect someone else for the rest of their life. At 13 years old, 12 and 13 years old. 12 and 13, yeah. And and things that are getting kids to just, they, they don't come back to school. And, and, and it's sneaky and it's, I mean, like I said, bullying doesn't cut it. It's, it's violence. It's verbal aggression and violence. And yeah. sexual harassment is unbelievable. It's, it's just, it's a very, very tumultuous, tumultuous environment in a school last year. I can't, I am hoping crossing everything that this year is way better, but last year it was everywhere you looked, somebody was hurting someone else. It was just, and there was really, you know, like, yeah, you could write up somebody for doing that, but it's just, it was the culture of the building at the time. It was how everybody was interacting. There were a lot of kids that haven't seen each other since fifth grade. So there were yeah. really old, old, old beaks that people were fighting over. Wow. Um, sometimes there were three fights in a day just because they, they, and they knew they could fight at school because they knew that it would get broken up and we, you know, we wouldn't, we would try real hard to prevent it. Somebody was putting some container around that. Yeah. That is interesting. It's almost like a safe place to get into a fight because it couldn't actually be that bad. Right. Somebody would come and break it up or right. There was. Somebody would stop it. Yeah. And they would actually plan out fights. They would plan them out um, to try to avoid staff getting involved. Um, but that rarely worked because it was, it was usually the same, you know, the same group of kids. But by the yeah. end of the year, there were fights that we were like, who the heck are these kids? Like who are, you know, it was because we had, we were outplacing kids. We were sending them remote. Like if you can't keep from fighting, you can't keep your hands off of each other then you're going to, you're going to be at home the rest of the school year. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden kids came out of the woodwork. Got to feel a need for fighting. Yeah. Feel the need. School year was weighing on everybody. And as the, you know, you'd get word of everyone's going to fight on Friday. Like there's going to be a big fight and we have a high school across the street. We had kids going over there fighting. We had high school kids coming over to our school and fighting. What is that line from Mean Girls? Like, she doesn't even go here like that. That's exactly right. You would be like, who's that kid? And then, you know, somebody would remember them from, you know, um, but then they would get consequences at the high school for coming over to the middle school and fighting. So it was just so, so much anger, so much revenge. And then you bring the gang aspect into it from outside of school. And then you've got a whole other mess going on. So could, could you talk a little bit about how those two things interact? Right. We're, we're talking about kids. Middle school is generally age where impulse control is low, (laughs) but your ability to plan things is high. That was very, that was very like well-spoken. Like I was going to say very well said, (laughs) Shailushi. Their brains are jacked up in a way that doesn't make no kind of no sense. (laughs) Yeah. Toddlers also have very poor impulse control, but toddlers suck at being able to plan things. And right. that's why they're not the menace. Like they're <laughs> personal menace to parents where you're like, oh my God, this bullshit again. Uh-huh. But like you don't have to worry about them causing like sort of organizing. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yes. They can't figure they can't plan anything. They 
they're like in the moment right and then like if they once they forget that they're mad that they had to put on shoes and everything's fine but teens especially at the middle school level like they are very good at planning stuff out they can they they've learned all that stuff but they have their brains are not good at impulse control so there's like yeah let's everyone go fight on friday yeah i mean and on one hand we had kids plan a, a super awesome protest i mean i was so proud of them you know so they can use their they can use their skills for good just as much as they can use them for evil <laughs> and you know and we're talking about you know neurotypical kids that can you know have something that they want to do plan ahead impulse control isn't there but they you know they figure it out and mm -hmm. then you've got you know the neurodiverse kids that I would work with zero to I'm going to beat your ass like absolutely no thoughts in between yes, yes and it was and it's impossible to that that level of activation is not always something that all staff are good at dealing with or recognizing when it's coming on yes sometimes the kids don't even you can't read them right i my kid who's on the spectrum has had run-ins seems to be one kid in particular that they would constantly have these run-ins but he would be fine and then the next second he'd be doing something yeah and there's no like there's no ramping up process for him or nobody could be like he's getting there oh my god listen right it was just from like zero to like now we have now i'm going to do something to you almost as if you just you just there was a light switch yeah. yeah light switch it's just different and then it's like gone just as quickly the importance of building a relationship with a young person i can't even that is the most important thing i could possibly think of when working with a young person in any setting whether it be education whether it be seeing a kid on the street i mean like just any working with a young person you have to build a relationship if you want to get anywhere with them mm -hmm. at all the kids that don't have the blinking signs that something is wrong or like a, a a truck backing up like the beep 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 yeah, yeah. backup lights are not there <laughs> sometimes the friends will know um and sometimes you can get to know them and talk to them about like what are you feel like trying to figure it out with them because they don't know mm -hmm. you know and yeah. there's so much that can be done with just having that relationship and trying to figure out, okay, if you're at all, if your hands are tingling or whatever your weirdo sign is that's unique to you, this is what we're going to work on yeah. and work, work on catching it before you flip a desk. When you work with these students, what, you know, can you talk us through a little bit about what do you do with them? I, my kid has social emotional, uh, uh, social emotional pull out minutes, but I literally have no idea what they do. Yeah. I know it's whatever they do, it's working. I'm not <laughs> yeah. going to say like it's useless, but I don't know what happens in that setting. So can you talk a little bit? I'm in therapy. My therapist and I are still working on feeling feelings, feeling my feelings, how to recognize in the moment yeah. when my anxiety is being triggered and not six hours later being like, I've had this knot in my stomach for six hours. I have no idea where I came from. Backing off Shalushi's question how do you even start that conversation with a kid? That's a great question. I like sixth to 12th grade kids. 
fifth grade, like fifth, I like five to 12. Like that's kind of my, my comfort zone because you can have more conversations and you can have more like, let's tease this out. Let's figure this out kind of working together. So a whole lot of it is rapport building. And a whole lot of it is honestly just listening and letting them know that you're hearing them because so many of them are not heard. You know, going, going back to I am speaking, these kids are speaking to all of us. And if we don't listen, we're going to get the behavior that comes from wherever it comes from. And we're going to get the attitude that comes from wherever it comes from. But if we can shut ourselves down enough and not just be waiting to tell them our advice or waiting them waiting to tell them something. It is amazing how just sitting there and not even saying anything works and just validating what they're dealing with, normalizing what they're dealing with. I can't, I probably can't, Shailisha, you were talking about like hearing the same joke. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't think of how many times I've even, I've just said, Middle school is a very, very hard time to be alive. It's really tough. And these are the, these are kind of situations where you're getting to make decisions now and you're, you know, trying to empower them to realize like life isn't necessarily just happening to you. Mm-hmm. You've got some control just because you're 13 and all the adults in your life are telling you all this stuff doesn't necessarily mean it's true doesn't necessarily mean that you've got no say, but there's ways to go about those feelings where you don't piss anybody off Mm -hmm. and you can have these thoughts. You can have these feelings. No feelings are bad. No feelings are not acceptable. And you can have 500 million feelings at the same time. And we can talk about it and it's okay that you have no idea what's going on with you right now. You know, just offering a space where it's quiet where there's like interesting stuff to look at, stuff for them to fiddle with all the time. I will say, do you want me to speak with you or do you want to be left alone? And especially if it's a kid that I don't know well, I'll say, I know that we don't know each other and Mm -hmm. I get it. I'm not going to push you if you just need to sit here and stare out the window for 15 minutes and go back to class. Totally fine with it. Wow. Just allowing them to make the space how they want to make it. And I'll just say like this room, like there's nothing I will not speak about. There's nothing that's going to offend me. You can, you can use this time how you want it. We can play a game. We can talk about nothing. We can watch YouTube videos, but it's just, it's really spending the time. It's really just time. It's Mm. really just time and listening and, and letting them know that they've got somebody that wants to hear it. I mean, because I I primarily was working with, you know, students that had IEPs, but I was by the by halfway through the year, I was meeting with more general education students than I was the special ed students because the special education students have all that support Mm -hmm. from all the different staff and the general education. You know, we were down a counselor all year. She was drowning. So there's nobody that can consistently, you know, and Mm -hmm. I was building relationships with kids because I'm annoying and I was in the hall and making fun of them and you know, having all kinds of silly conversations. So I was trying to become a face that they recognized. And I think, and I always kind of say like, you got to be sneaky in how you speak with them because you want them to feel like it's their idea. Mm -hmm. We're adults, we're guiding, we're giving choices that are reasonable. 
you're giving choices where both of A or B is acceptable. Is acceptable. Like that's okay. also how you deal with toddlers. Yeah, that, I was gonna say, like, do you want to put on your shoes or do you want me to put on your shoes? Your shoes get on. Yeah, either but way. We can go about them about that two different ways. Right. And you know, like maybe the option of beating your teacher's ass is not gonna work for you. But these two options will get your point across. Do you want me to speak to your teacher? Do you want me to email your, so much of it is communication, you know, like miscommunication. You know, a teacher reads something differently than the student meant for it to be read. And then the teacher gets angry and throws them out of class. And then you're like, it was simply because I yada, yada, yada. Well, did you verbalize that? No. Helping kids be empowered and helping kids learn how to get their needs met. I always tell Anushka, you can feel your feelings, but you have to use your words. Yeah. Yeah. Or some way. I mean, like if a kid's shut down and they won't speak, I'll bring out like a whiteboard or like a piece of paper. I'll just like write yes or no. And you point, you know, like yeah. if they're in the moment and they can't talk to you, yeah. you just, okay, it's fine. No, we don't expect you to talk. It's totally fine. If you're not comfortable with that, but we need to know a couple things. So point to this or point to this. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Really trying to give it to them. You know, I, I don't want to be another adult that's just throwing expectations. Yeah, their expectations are still there. And I absolutely stick with them. And I, you know, reiterate those and reteach those. Do you need help figuring out this expectation? Is there something in the expectation that you get stuck on? Mm -hmm. it's, it's just guiding and helping them come up with how to say things in a way that that communicates what their need is and they may not have known how to communicate it yeah it's amazing you know i know that there's there are people who are like social emotional learning right we our generation i don't know when it started because i have a kid who you know is just about to turn 15 and so i know it's at least when that kid was going through school. But the sheer fact that there are conversations happening in school settings when kids are supposed to be there, right? They're they're sort of a captive audience. And yes, I mean, let me, I cannot tell you how many eye rolls I got about the social, oh my God, I gotta do this homework. It's so dumb. <laughs> yes, sure. All that thing. But at some, it's gonna stick somewhere. Yes. And I feel like, I feel like so many adults think that kids are just supposed to know this stuff yes because we all know it come on right exactly so like kids go to school to learn math social studies english whatever whatever all that other stuff they should know it makes total sense to me that why would you not teach that yeah why would that why would these not be things that you taught because you know a young person is not going to all of a sudden be like okay i need to count to five before i call that person a yada yada my body feels this way. So that means, you know, and there are people that believe, and I've heard it from adults' mouths, I'm not going to reward you for something that you should know how to do anyway. But clearly you don't know how to do it because you're saying those exact words, right? I mean, I will 100% cop to the fact that that's not something I ever learned how to do. No, neither. That's not, nobody ever talked about that. No. Right? And so it's very hard to learn that as an adult. And yet it is important to learn all of these skills. How do you, how do you talk to someone? How do you actually figure out what you're feeling? How do you create space between your, your feelings and your response? All of these things, right? How do you assess potential options? 
pros and cons of those things. No one ever taught you. And some people can pick it up. And also, I totally remember, you know, when Anushka was two and a half and she would go pee and you're like, good job. Oh, my God. You went pots. You know, like now I don't cheer for her when she goes to the potty. Although maybe I should start. That would be hilarious. Shilji, can you imagine? (laughs) But you have to start from a place where you are cheering the things that they will know, but they don't know them immediately. And you have to teach a child and yourself how to be okay with being uncomfortable because you're not going to always be happy. You're not always going to feel, say that again. (laughs) How about if I just teach my children that and I don't ever have to be uncomfortable? I don't have to learn that. Right. (laughs) And you don't have to be in charge of your feelings. Yes. Well, and because if kids don't know how to fail, any kind of diversity feels like I am a piece of trash. Mm. I don't know how to do this. Why do I feel like this? This feeling is bad. I don't know what to do with it. So I don't do anything. And then we know how that works. It comes out however it comes out. Comes out however it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, you know, it's not always going to be socially acceptable. It's going to be maladaptive. But if it works, they're going to stick with it. Like, okay, I got out of this situation because I, you know, screamed something at somebody. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Teaching any of us just to be like, okay, this sucks. Mm -hmm. I'm going to sit with you in this moment. I'm going to love you through it. I'm going to just be here and we're going to, and it's going to be all right, you know, and, and not necessarily it's going to be all right, but it sucks, but you're not dealing with it by yourself. Right. So I'm really curious given our time constraints, but this is also a great pivot point, right? We always ask our second to last question is always to ask people what their advice is for someone in their position. So I'm going to ask you for that, but I'm also going to ask you, what is your advice as a professional, what would be your advice to a parent of a teen or, or a tween or an almost tween on some of this social emotional learning? Like, what would you want a parent to know? And we're not asking that because we have tweens and teens who are right, right. moving into that space. <laughs> I know. And that's the thing. I, I always say, you know, when someone asks if I have kids, I'm like, no, but I take care of other people's kids mm-hmm. because that's what I do. And I... I give advice to parents all the time. You need to keep your level of activation. You need to keep your volume, your tone, everything as calm as you can when you are talking to your little or your, or your tween or teen, because they will match that energy. So if you've got a kid who's super activated, like just, whoa, like out of it, you know, leave them alone unless they're being unsafe, but stay with them and just listen, keep your energy calm. Let them know you're struggling. I get it. This is a really tough situation that you're dealing with right now, but I am here. If you're not, you know, cool with talking about it right now, that's okay. But I want to talk about, like, we need to talk about it so that you can kind of get through this, figure out what you need to do to feel better. And just talk, you know, just have that conversation. Let them know. I think truly let them know that what they're feeling is fine. What you are feeling is not bad. You are not a bad kid because you are this pissed. 
you know, pissed is not bad. And you can tell me what it is that you're feeling and you're not going to get in trouble for it because you're learning how to express that. And we're going to figure out, yeah, you can't necessarily say pissed at school, but how would you word it at school? Mm. Really, really keep, keep your, and I've had parents like, whoa, it worked. You know, like, oh, really? I've been doing this for 16 years. Right. I went to school for this. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. But like, you know, because there is, there's, I'm thinking of a, a young man and his mom that they would just go at it. So, like, one of his moms was the calm one. The other mom was like military, pretty, like, do what I say because I say it. Mm-hmm. Because I said so. Yeah. Like, at, like, just not catching on that you've got a young man who's got a lot of trauma in his background, he's not just going to like hop to because you said anything. He's going to fight you. You need to work with him in a way that he's doing something because he respects you and you have a relationship with him and he wants to help you. He's a super helpful kid, amazing young man. Mm -hmm. But the two of them would just hype each other up until it would become physical. Mm. Oh, wow. I spoke to her. I was like, you have to. And I had to frame it for her like, you're winning you know, cause she had to win. Uh, and that was her. That was the adult with that issue that was making it really, really not possible for her to be a supportive parent. Sure. And so the two of them would hype each other up and I would just, I'm going to challenge you to keep yourself as chill as possible. Cause if you come at somebody and you're already heated, they're just, they're going to be right there with you or they're going to shut down nothing's gonna then nothing good is gonna come out of that but if you normalize and you accept and you love your kid through a difficult situation one they're gonna know it's okay to have a difficult situation and have feelings about it and two they're gonna know that they can come to you and you're not gonna yell at them and throw them in their room and tell them they're grounded and take their phone away because they're mad about it yeah yeah absolutely yeah that's that's really what I think is the most helpful thing when you're dealing with a, any, any young person, any kid, you know, just sit, sit and sit it, you know, and, and adults dealing with grief, just sit, sit in it with them. Yeah. It's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to feel horrible. It's, it doesn't feel okay, but it's going to be, it's not going to feel that bad forever. And I tell that, I tell that to my kids and parents, this is not going to feel like this forever. It's temporary. It might feel huge, but it's not going to be huge and in your face for much longer. Yeah. Just, yeah. Learning, learning skills for emotional management. And yeah, I mean, anyone who's ever been in, in a relationship with, particularly with a romantic partner, like this, you see this all, like, it's so easy to see it in romantic situations where, right. Where you're like, you're upset about something and then you come at it with an energy and then your partner meets you with that energy. And then you're like, Oh yeah. And then you one up them. And then it's like a blowout. Yeah. In that situation, nobody in that situation gets heard. Sorry to interrupt, but no, no, like nobody, you're absolutely right. Nobody gets their needs met. Nobody gets their needs met. And then you're just pissed off at the other person. It so reminds me there was probably 20 years ago or 25 years ago. I heard a stand up comedian who said he was at a grocery store and there was a kid who is, uh, you know, like acting out and goofing off and stuff. And his mom grabbed his arm, got down, 
like and screamed in his face, relax, relax. <laughs> and the comedian goes, that kid is going to grow up not knowing what that word means. Yes. You're trying to get your kid to relax or calm down and stop escalating, yet you continue to escalate. Again, going back to what, Shailsha, you said it in the very beginning, is like, what are you modeling for this kid? Yes. Yep. And that's, and that's truly, you know, you'll have a, a parent come in and blow up at their child. I mean, just absolutely blow up. Then you'll have a parent come in and, and watch the staff. Just like, you know, like watch how we interact because it's, it works. And you see people make some adjustments, but you also see the parents that come in and just make it 12 times worse. Yeah. And, you know, and they have to very kindly figure out how to, to word that and just kind of say, you know, did you notice how they responded? And did you notice how they might have responded if you did not raise your voice? Mm -hmm. Especially when the kid will say, I don't like you to yell at me. I don't want you to yell at me. Mm. And then when you, when you yell, you don't, that's, that tells them you don't care about how they feel. Sure. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. This is the time where I will say it, that it's good advice for us all, not only in dealing with our children, but also in almost any relationship. Mm -hmm. with our friends, with our family members, with our, you know, our romantic partners, even with our coworkers, right? Like someone's struggling. The response to that is not to kick it up another notch. Yeah. Thinking poorly of somebody is never helpful either. And I dealt with that a lot last year. You know, the teachers were really, really struggling. And I was struggling with feeling frustration at them because of how they were handling things instead of, Hey, how are you? I heard that your in-law passed away, you know, like, and Mm. that's not necessarily my job, but I could have done that. You know, we, we need to kind of, it's like all hands on deck. Everyone's going to kind of, and you're hearing more like check on your friends, check on your friends, check on your loved ones, which I love hearing that and seeing that places, but yeah, just checking in with people makes life so much easier. And so even yeah. if you're great, it still feels good to have somebody check on you. Hey, how are you doing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or even just a text like, hey, or like a heart. I send lots of heart texts, you know, like yeah. that's it. It doesn't mm-hmm. take yeah. any. I, I have people that I, that I check in with just like that. And they know I love them and I didn't need to, you know, take time. We didn't have to have a big conversation, but just the simple things of, smiling at smiling at somebody like all these things that we think is just you know silly but just hey what's up you know like and that's built so many relationships with the kids that didn't know me speaking of silly and making someone smile we're gonna move to the family act question which is it's one of our favorites yes i have known you for 40 years right I know you have like an entire language on your own. And unfortunately we can't go through the entire language, yeah. but give us a few examples of your awesome family. Cause I also know that some of it has been picked up by like some of your family members. So tell us a few. Well, and it's, and it's funny because you know, my brother, he and his wife have hopped on yeah. to the demand language train as well. Um, but so many of my friends do. So I, I call dogs schmerp. Because why wouldn't you? 
You are <laughs> exactly. Why would you not? Why would you not? Exactly. <laughs> yes. Smurfs. So so everybody and it and it's there's been like variations of like smurples, like smurpees. My dog's looking at me because I call him that sometimes. And then he's like, What? Why are you talking about me? Like, so and my nephew, so Scott's son has said since he was little, instead of good, he says goon. Goon. So now everybody in our family says goon. Goon. You're goon. Oh. Yeah. Like like, how was your day? Goon. <laughs> what else? Oh, my best friend from college. And we were talking about this, Kosha. And, and no one else knows her by this name because I called her that when we were in our 20s. So her maiden name was Remedi, and I called her Medi. Uh, that's just kind of how all of us addressed her um, when we were in our early 20s. And then she got married, and so she's got a different last name. Everyone that she's knowing has a different last name. So we'll be at gatherings, and she won't always, like, she doesn't pick up on Medi as much anymore, which uh-huh. kind of more. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, but then there's still other people that call her that. And when it's just us, I call her that. But calling her Angela just weirds me out. Like, it's <laughs> like, so my, yeah, like my mom, my parents call her Medi. Scott calls her Medi. That's her name. That's who she is to us. I've told this story before, but uh, Anushka calls Shayla Shay Mamash instead of Shayla Shay Mashay. She Not surprisingly. Has always called her Mamash. At one point, she came up to me and she was telling her friend about Shailushi, something that her mama did. And Anushka came up to me and was like, what's your sister's name? (laughs) (laughs) And it wasn't like, what is Mamash's real name? It was like separate. Like, Mamash is this person. I'm talking about your sister, who is the same person. What's your sister's name? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. That is. and And it's fun. Like, when when the kids start it you know yeah but then it's stuff that that we start that the kids pick up on yeah pick up on oh yeah for sure for sure like the like smurps like you know people will call you know my nephews will say that or like with water i call it vouters i don't <laughs> i just found out that in massachusetts they call it wooter i have a friend that lives out there and i'm like wooter it's vouter but okay, sounds, that's weird. It also sounds like slightly dirty. Yeah, it, it does. does. <laughs> it totally does because I've known families that call like the female anatomy wooter. Oh, <laughs> I know they don't use the the correct. Okay, well that's a whole nother yeah, podcast. That's a, that's a whole other podcast. Yes, but it it's is. definitely not water. So no, and taking a, taking a shower is taking a shower. I can I can get behind that too. There's just there's so many. You know what we should do is we should have Amanda back on and just have her like talk to us in her language. We're gonna do like a special episode and be and just be like, we're gonna have a conversation, but everything that you would norm normally And then we can figure then we'll be like, can we figure out what it is? Yes, yes, (laughs) yeah. And then we'll like offer prizes and stuff to our Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Like do like do some captioning on that exactly. one. Exactly. Well, you are super, super awesome. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. I feel yeah. like Thank I can't believe it's been like an having just like that. Like it, it, and you're doing as Scotty said, like you're doing God's work. So yeah, you're doing <laughs> Thank you. really amazing things in the world. People are lucky to have you. Your school's lucky to have you. And yeah, we'll definitely have to have you back on just for a Familax episode. I wonder if we could do like a like a mini season on Familax. I think we should. I think okay. we definitely should. All right. 
I think that's a great, I love, I love that. I, I didn't even know what that word meant. I think it's really cool that you're asking those kinds of questions because it talks, I mean, you're talking about, you know, family dynamics, family culture. Yeah. And shared stories, right? Shared stories. Like, where do these words come from? And now you say schmerps and you know, like the people who understand that know exactly know something about you and you go way back. I mean, it's all of that stuff. And I'm so. sure that you two have got stuff like that from your parents. That oh my God. It's so many. No, I bet. Yeah. So many things. So. <laughs> all right, girlfriend. Amanda, love you thank so you much. so much. Thank you so much. No problem. Love you guys. Have a great evening. Bye. Bye.